We're in a sermon series called Help Wanted, and we're calling it Help Wanted because in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus asks for our work. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so the Lord is looking for people who want to be sent out, who desire to do the work of the Lord, which is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's looking for people to take that up. And do you want to be sent out by the Lord to do the work of the Lord? As we're going to read today, we're going to actually read from Luke chapter 15. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to find out that the work of the Lord, the job description is to be a sheep dog, and it's to be a metal detector as we round up some of God's lost things. And if you lost things before, and do you go back for them? There's this like level of value that you have to reach before you turn around and go back for something that you've lost. If it's not valuable enough, we won't. If it is, we will. And there's that line, that cutoff line. And when we lose something of value on that line, we labor over the decision. I know every time I go stay in a hotel or every time I go stay at a family member's house, I get up, Sarah and I get up, we pack everything up, we pack all the kids up, we get everything in the car, we take one last sweep, make sure we look for everything, look in the bathroom, and we get in the car and we're driving home. And about halfway home, I look at my phone and it's like halfway charged and I think I need my... Oh, I forgot the charger in the wall again. And the charger's like right on that cutoff line. You know, it's like they charge way too much for those things. And you sit there and you think, oh, is that valuable? I actually did call up a hotel one time and they did. They shipped me my charger. What amazing service. What an amazing day and age to live in. They shipped me my charger. But there's that level of value that when it's crossed, we go back for it. If it's not, we won't. And some things are easy. We know we don't go back from Some things are hard. Some things are easy. I remember my first time flying, I never had the incredible opportunity to fly before 9-11. I've only flown after 9-11. And the first time I flew, I went in and I dig through your bag. They look at your things and I had my toiletries and a little, you know, Ziploc baggie. I had like a tube of toothpaste that was like 90% empty. I had a little travel shampoo that was half empty. I had my floss, you know. And they said, you can't bring this on the plane. I said, why? They said, it's a safety precaution. It's a safety hazard. And I sat there and I tried to look at it through their eyes. What are they seeing that they think this is a safety hazard? Here's, here's me coming through with a little bag, Ziploc baggie of mostly empty toiletries. And, and there's a safety. And I'm thinking, what are they? Are they, they give me so much. They must think I'm some sort of just absolute criminal mastermind, right? Like, what do they expect? I'm going to sit there and the, the flight attendant's going to walk by. I'm going to take the Take the shampoo and quick throw it her eyes, shove her out of the way, run to the front of the plane. I'm gonna get that tube of toothpaste. I'll have to, you know, curl the ends up. You know how you do that to get the last little bit? I'll curl the ends up, stick the toothpaste in the lock, erode the locking mechanism, shove the door open, take my half empty stick of deodorant, take the top off, slam it on the pilot's head, and take over the plane with my bag of toiletries. <laughs> what are they seeing? But I had waited in line forever. I just wanted to get So whatever, I just throw the bag away. Just throw it away. I'll buy it again later. All of those things, just leave them behind. And I never think about them again because they don't mean anything to me. 
They don't mean anything at all. We go back for things that are valuable. We don't even pause for things that aren't. And it doesn't have to be monetary value that makes you go back for something. I remember when I was a little kid, my parents would take us camping, and we'd pull this 13-foot Mallard travel trailer behind a 1986 Chevy Astro van, and Micro Machines had just come out. They were awesome, like Hot Wheels, only even smaller. When you're a kid, the smaller the thing is, the better. And I remember these things were awesome. Little Chevy Astro van, and my dad would pull the trailer down, and we'd go camping. I'd be sitting there in the seat pretending I was pulling a trailer with my little Astro van. And I left that thing on the table on the campground and packing up the trailer and pulling away. And we were just exiting the campground. I said, Dad, I forgot my micro machine on the, on the picnic table in the campsite. Can we go back? My dad's like, we're not going back. As he you know, fought to get everybody in the car and fought to get everything packed up. We're going home. I'm like, no, it's only like a minute that way. I remember as a child being so frustrated that we couldn't turn around. Spend the extra three minutes to get this. We don't go back for lost junk most of the time because it's not worth it. But some things are worth it even if they're not valuable. Monetary, there's sentiment as well. If we love something, we'll go back for it. I remember one time we were driving down the road in Duluth. It was a, my wife and I, it was a beautiful fall day. It was getting cool. It was getting dry. And so she's going to lotion her hands. And I remember she had the window slightly down, like that far. And she's got the lotion bottle and mostly empty, and she's kind of pounding the last bit of lotion out of it, and all of a sudden, boom, it goes right out the window. <laughs> and she goes, no, it's my favorite lotion. We'll turn around. Let's turn around. We got that lotion from Bath and Body Works. If you've, men, oh, happy Father's Day, by the way. I forgot to say that among all the things. Happy Father's Day. You know, I thank God for the smartphone because it's made shopping experiences so much better. I remember before Sarah would say, do you want to go shopping? And I was like, no. Now I'm sitting there, I'm like playing games, I'm paying the bills, I'm talking with my friends. Does it look good? Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, let me take a picture, yeah. <laughs> we got that lotion from Bath and Body Works. Who, men, who's, what men here have been to Bath and Body Works before? A few, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. These people have the most complicated pricing structure I've ever seen. Buy three, get two free. Buy four, get three half off and two per for the price of one. I'm like, this doesn't even add up. <laughs> On Saturdays, when your purchase totals the square root of the day of the month times the hour of the day, you get a coupon to save either 50% off on this purchase. Oh, you're next. They got three different sizes. And you buy three of those, you get two of these and one of those. You buy four of those, you get two of these and five of them. It's just... And so she throws the lotion out of the window. She's like, my favorite lotion. I was like, no, I was there. We got five of the big bottles, three of the little bottles. <laughs> How valuable does something have to be for you to turn around? What have you lost? What have you gone back for? And what haven't you gone back for? In big families, you leave people behind. In my last church... They got, there was a family that got a flat tire on vacation. They got in the car, all five of them, and drove away, and were about an hour away before they realized there were six people in their family. And they left one of their daughters by the side of the road. I know Sarah's done that in her family. They left the quiet brother at a gas station. <laughs> the other day, we were at uh, Hayes' birthday party, and we're getting in the car, and 
Houston's birthday party, and we're getting in the car, and, and Darren Love asked, asked us, even asked us, do you got everybody? And we said, yeah. And we started to pull away, and we almost got out of the parking lot, and we realized we forgot Gracie. <laughs> Thankfully, Mary said, your family's leaving. And I look in the rear view mirror, and there's Grace running behind. <laughs> like, you stop for that. I'm stopping for her. And the Lord calls us to round up some of his lost stuff because he loves it. And then we're going to ask ourselves, do we love what God loves? And people are so concerned about our own virtue, right? On Facebook, it's never been easier to just promote yourself through virtuous things. All I have to do, I can be a civil rights hero. I can be seen as the most loving person. All I got to do is change that logo to the Ukraine flag watermark. And I'm, look at my virtue. I haven't done anything for anybody. I haven't done a single thing for anybody except myself. And what are we doing? Are we convincing ourselves that we love people because we look at the world's definition of love and we do that? Or do we look at the Lord's definition of love and do we do that? What if we define ourselves by what Jesus calls loving? It's clear that the Lord defines love by the sacrifice of his son on the cross for the lost. If you turn to Romans chapter 5, it says, But God, chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord defines love. By the sacrifice of his son, as he came to us and served in sacrifice for us to win our hearts, to save us. And do we have that kind of love for God's things? And today we're going to begin reading about the work that God calls us to do. If we are sitting there and we're wondering if the Lord is real, we're wondering where he is. There's a variety of things that could be happening in our life. One of the main things I think that Christians overlook is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing the work of the Lord. When our faith is dry, we give this, you know, the excellent answers. They might seem a bit cliche of, are you praying? Are you in church? Are you worshiping the Lord? Are you reading your Bible? But the Lord has promised he will go with us. He's promised he will be there. In Matthew chapter 28, as he gives the Great Commission... In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we're wondering where God has gone, maybe it's because we haven't. It could be a variety of things, but maybe it's because we've never entered into the work he's called us to. If you're sitting there today and you feel like the Lord is far, your faith is weak, I would encourage you to do those things, but absolutely start telling people about Jesus Christ. And you will feel the spiritual battle around you, and that will encourage your faith. You'll learn to defend your faith and explain your faith, and that will encourage your faith. Today we're going to read Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the work of the Lord that he gives us of rounding up his lost things. We're going to ask ourselves, do we love the things that God loves and has asked us to round up? As we look at our, as we begin reading to our mission as a church, it's to unite people with Jesus Christ and each other. That's our mission as a church. 
And here, this is what Jesus does. And in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And in the previous weeks, you know, we've read some of the passages of Jesus Christ encountering people, and he is such a truth teller. I mean, Jesus just pulls no punches. He doesn't beat around the bush. When people come to them, he looks in their heart. He is God. He looks in their heart. He sees the idols in their heart that are separating from God. And he doesn't hesitate. He just charges right in and challenges those idols. He's such a truth teller. And yet, look at this. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. When I tell the truth, the sinners run from me. What a man of love. That's why Ephesians says, speak the truth in love. What an amazing combination. That Jesus can be such an incredible truth teller and yet so loving, the people run to him. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's our people who have done a great job of following God, the Pharisees. They're usually the villains in the scripture, but they're not like bad people. You'd want to be friends with the Pharisees. I'd want to be friends with the Pharisees. They're great people. They're trustworthy. They follow the rules. You can know what they're going to do. They are committed to God. And yet these people say, see Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, and they look at him and they say, this doesn't compute. Why is he doing that? Like these people, they hurt other people. Sin is serious. It's not a joke. Tax collectors are wicked, have a wicked profession. They sit there and they take your money. They take the money without asking, without your permission. I mean, these people hurt people. They take more than they should. They waste it. You have these people who do things and hurt others and the Pharisees don't understand, why is Jesus with them? They're rebelling against God. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you wouldn't say that, but if you look at your life, are you spending time with people who don't know and love the Lord? Now, for me, that's really hard because I'm in the church all the time and I get to spend time with you guys and I love you guys. You're fantastic. I know what to expect from you. I know that I can trust you and I don't get that other places. And so it's easy just to spend time with other believers who are committed to the Lord, who've got their act together. But if all our friends are Christian, we're incredibly unchristlike. And so I have to go out of my way and I have to go out of my comfort zone to intentionally meet people for Christ. All of our neighbors in our old neighborhood attended our church with us at one point or another, some for many years. And it was not comfortable. It was not easy all of the time. I remember I was over at one of my neighbor's house and he was listening to the music of the day, which is completely insane. I was listening to this. I was like, I can't even be in the room for this. I have no idea why anyone listens. Violent lyrics, sexist lyrics. At a party, yeah, we're just having a good time. Listening, I'm like, this is nuts. Thankfully, there were people outside, so I went outside. And I explained that to them. I can't listen to this, but I'll be outside. And it's hard. It moves me out of my comfort zone, but I'm not going to leave that relationship hanging. I'm going to continue after him. 
doing things with them where I can, where it's not offensive, inviting them over to my house, having bonfires, being hospitable. It can be awkward to hang out with people who are far from God, but Jesus does that. And the people don't like it. And they look at him and they say, this man, there's something wrong with God. Just as an aside, how many people read the word of the Lord? And they look at it and they see something that they disagree with in here. They see something in in Leviticus. They see how God ordered his people to live. And they say, he must not know what he's doing. There must be a problem with God. If you're ashamed of any part of scripture, I want to challenge you right now. You have some sort of spiritual blindness in your life. And it's fine, we all do. The scripture challenges us. But if you sit there and read something in the scripture and you say there's something wrong with God, then you've got Satan working your life because there is nothing wrong with God. There is something wrong with you. And that's why the Lord has given you his word. And here are the people, they are so prideful. They are so confident in themselves. I'm a good person. I've got the right watermark. I go to the right places. I support the right causes. I do the right things. And here I see God doing something that I wouldn't do. There's something wrong with God. There's not. There's something wrong with them. And so Jesus is going to correct them. He's very confrontational and yet outrageously loving. And so they don't run from him. They listen to him. And verse 3 says, He told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And here he tells this story about lost things, and they're not lost because they don't know where they are, although that is the metaphor. I don't know where the sheep is. I don't know where the coin is. But the things we're looking for, he, the work that God is asking us to do is to be a sheepdog. It's to be a metal detector. It's to find Jesus lost things, but he's not talking about coins and sheep. He's talking about people. The Lord loves people. And he's asking for us to go find them. They're not lost on a map like the sheep. It's a metaphor for being spiritually dead, for being spiritually lost. And Jesus loves his things, and so he goes after the lost. And do we love Jesus' things? How do we treat the things that are lost? And they're not lost because we don't know where they are. Some people have a hard time hanging around with unbelievers. We get in our our Christian bubbles, and we don't talk, we don't visit, we don't fellowship, we don't make friends with unbelievers because they're too offensive to us. Other people seem to love the world more than the church. We have both problems in the church. We don't just have Pharisees. We have people 
who convince themselves they love God when really they love is the world's approval. I've had many friends who come to church and say they love the Lord, but they hang around with their friends and they bring their worldly evil into the church and they go and they spread their things and say there's something wrong with God and we don't understand this and the church needs to do this and that. And it's anything but spread the gospel. And you look at them and you say, if you love the Lord, it's great to have friends, but they're not saved just because you hang around with them. There's so many people, so many Christians who are very impressed with themselves that they hang around with unbelievers. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Jesus hung around with unbelievers, but he didn't hang. They weren't saved because they were in his presence. They were saved because they repent. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Maybe you're someone who doesn't know any unbelievers. Maybe you're someone who gets along well with unbelievers, but you're not preaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're still not doing the work of the Lord. And Sarah and I have had to go out of our way since we're always in the Christian bubble, but at at some point, Hopefully sooner than later, we're going to invite you to church. We're going to tell you the word of the Lord. We're going to spread the gospel to you. Because I want to do the work of the Lord. I want to love the things that Jesus loves. I remember my oldest friend, when he was eight, invited him to church. And on the way home, my mother told him about Jesus Christ. She told him about angels and demons. And that kid was scared straight. And that stuck with him. 14 years later, he got saved as a senior in college and is one of the most passionate believers in Jesus Christ I know today. Praise the Lord. And hopefully I'll get to it sooner than later. I remember one time we held a Financial Peace University class at a community college to do outreach. And I sat there in the class and I was hoping to spread the gospel. I love finances, but not as much as I love the Lord. I'm not there to teach you about your finances primarily, although they didn't know that. I'm there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm working these people over and not a single one of them was open to the Lord. I was so discouraged. And every day I'd come in and walk out and I'd be real nice to the lady at the desk because I wanted to come back. And I always worry about that. If they find out you're a Christian, there's a lot of times they won't let you come back and rent out their room and do your thing. And so I'm very nice to the lady at the desk. I'm walking in, walking out. I can't get anybody in the class to know the Lord. And I walked out on the last day and I was like, somebody's coming to church. And so I asked the lady at the desk. And she came. It took me eight classes to get around to it. But I found her. Remember one time I was a little more bold. I went through the cash register line and this girl's there, you know, she's by her appearance. You can tell she's not really with the rest of society. She's a little on the outside and I walked up to her and she's ringing things out and I was in a good mood that day and it was close to Easter and I said, do you have a place to go to church this Easter? And she gave the most amazing response I've ever heard. She goes, I wish... You know, you can just pick one. (laughs) I invited her to church. She did not come. But I've heard studies before. It says you need to be invited to church seven times on average before you'll go. So maybe I was one of her seven. I remember one time I was at the dentist 
for my decadely checkup appointment. And this lady, I don't know why these people talk to you. I can't answer. You've got your hands and straws in my mouth. How are you today? You have kids? What are your kids' names? And I managed to somehow get my kids' names out while she's fixing my teeth. And I said, Isaiah, Grace, Joseph, and Hannah. And this lady had read the Bible so much she knew those were biblical names. And she made that comment. Oh, are those names from the Bible? And I thought, big mistake, lady. You just opened yourself up to the gospel. And I said, yes, have you read the Bible? And she said, yeah, a little bit. And I said, how would you say the Bible tells you that you get to heaven? And she sat there and she goes, um, um, just a little thing sucks. The little suckers are sucking and sucking over there. Um, little, little water squirting out the thing and every. And finally, I, I just jumped in to save her. I said, well, have you ever heard of John 3, 16? It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes will not perish but be saved. We get to heaven by believing in Jesus. And she said, oh, is that why they always say we're saved by faith? Yeah, that's it. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to this mega church. No, you don't. We all know you don't. If you're looking to invite someone to church, I don't want you to invite people from other churches here. They have a church. Let them go where they are. But if they say they go to the mega church, I give you permission to invite them here because you don't know if they do or not. And they might go on Christmas and Easter. They might go once every two months. That doesn't count. They need to be in church. And so I'm not trying to judge everyone who says they go to the mega church, but more often than not, almost all the time when I ask someone if they go to the church and they go and say they go to the mega church, I get to know them. They don't. And so you're more than welcome to invite them here. And I invited my dental hygienist here. One time I got done with a church planning conference in Puyallup, Washington. How do you say that? P-Y-U-L-L-A-P, beautiful place. And I got done with this church planning conference and I got in the cab and the Uber driver was a Muslim and he noticed we were doing a Christian church planning conference and we're driving back to the airport and he said, I see that you're a Christian. You came from a church planning conference. I said, yes, I'm actually a pastor of a church. We're hoping to plan another church. And he said, my girlfriend just died and she was a Christian. I said, that's terrible. That's terrible. And he said, I want to know, are there two heavens? Like what happens? Do Christians go to one heaven and do Muslims go to another? And I thought, well, I hope your girlfriend went to heaven. I hope she's there because she's a Christian. She never told you about the Lord. I don't know what to expect. If you know the Lord and you love the Lord, you're going to talk about him. You're going to talk about them. You can't stop people from talking about what they love. Haven't you noticed that? We have Kindercasts on the other side. Those teachers do parent-teacher conferences. They know people talk about what they love. We come in for those parent-teacher conferences. We love our kids. We won't stop telling the teachers, oh, I love, I know, I love my kid. He does this, he does that, he does that. Isn't he great? My mother was a teacher at a private Christian school. And you know what her strategy was to finally get those conferences over? Because people just love their kids. They won't stop talking about their kids. She got those conferences in. She goes, I'm going to start talking about my kids. <laughs> and so she did. Oh, I know. I love my son too. His name is Jeremy. He's a pastor of a church, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what do you know? Okay, conference over. <laughs> Time to go. You almost can't stop people from talking about what they love. Have you ever sat there and listened to someone explain a movie to you? that they love, it's horrible. 
It's terrible. You can't tell what's going on, and the funny parts aren't funny, and the dry, I mean, but they won't stop talking about the movie. We'll talk about what we love. And he says, dude, are there two heavens? And I said, well, is there one for Muslims and one for Christians? I said, no, there's, the Bible teaches that there's one heaven. And Jesus says he is the only way to heaven. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And to get to heaven, we need to put our faith and trust in him and repent of our sins. And he started to get a little upset. He says, well, then what happens to Muslims? I mean, this guy was serious about his faith. I'm sure his family was serious about his faith. Generations of people misled by the false prophet Muhammad. And he's hearing this for the first time. And he's getting angry and we're driving down the freeway in Puyallup, Washington. And he's getting visibly upset. What are you saying that happens to Muslims? Uh, well, there's heaven and there's hell, I said. And uh, hell is eternal and it's separated from God. Watch out for the truck. And we're driving down the road. And I said, you know, I thought I need to get to this airport. And so I said, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of great churches in your area. Let me look one up for you and give you the name of one. And you can go talk with the pastor because I want to get to the airport. And so I did. I was worried I wasn't going to get So I look up a church and I tried to pot him up on one of the other pastors. I pray that man came to Christ. Jesus would have loved that man enough to risk his own life and finish the story. And how do you treat people? As you encounter all of these people in your daily life, you go to the dentist, you take an Uber, you have neighbors. I'd go back for my daughter if I leave her somewhere. <laughs> I'm not going back for the toothpaste. You think you love people, but do you treat them like toothpaste? God celebrates over people who repent. We just had a block party. I don't think she's even here today, so she'll be okay with me singling her out. We're having a block party, and it's a celebration. And Christians, we don't know how to celebrate. Seriously, we don't know how to celebrate. And I'm not, I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't know how to dance. Sarah knows how to dance. I'm usually dragged kicking and screaming into celebrations because she won't let it go, and I have to dance with her. I don't want anybody else to. And so I got to go out there and do it. And I see at the block party, we got to turn on some music, and my little baby girl who dances at home to that little cute little VBS music starts dancing in the parking lot, and my wife is over there dancing with her. And we got like three people who know how to celebrate in our church. Carol Roth gets up there, and she starts dancing. She knows how to celebrate and have a good time. Jonathan, all the people are gone today who are there. Jonathan, Jonathan and Jennifer get up, and they're dancing. And my little girl pulls me over there, and then she finds something else. And I'm seriously inside thinking, thank God I don't have to dance in front of my congregation. <laughs> We don't know how to celebrate. I went to a daddy-daughter dance with my girl, my six-year-old girl, and it was more awkward than any of the dances we had in middle school. I was surprised. I thought that men were only awkward in front of women they liked. Apparently, we're just awkward in front of everyone. There's nobody on the dance floor. There's like one poor dad out there trying to dance with his daughter. And everybody else is like, you know, dad's trying to like avoid it by getting punched in the corner. And I thought, what kind of memory do I want to have with my daughter? I don't, I'm not, I, I don't, I've never been somebody who says, like, I hear that music, and I'm like, boy, I just need to start moving. Whoa. I've never had that experience before in my life. But I'm like, I'm, 
I'm here with, I came here. What am I here for? And what does it say to my daughter? And so I picked her up and I grabbed her by the armpits and I spun her around and her feet are flying. I throw her in the air and I grab her. Oh, hey, Carol, you are here. <laughs> and I grab her and throw her in the air. <laughs> and I dip her and I dance her and I spin her and I look like a fool. But we don't know how to celebrate. The Lord knows how to celebrate. I think it's Matthew chapter 11. The people look at the Lord and they say, he's celebrating too much. The man, he says, John the Baptist came. He didn't eat or drink. He all complained about him. The son of man comes eating and drinking. They call him a drunkard and, a, and whatever. Like Jesus knew how to party. Now he knew the right amount to drink. He's perfect in every way. It was like 1.2 drinks or whatever it was. Jesus nailed it every time. But the Lord knows how to party. He knows how to celebrate. And if we love the people that the Lord loves, we'll go share the gospel with them. If we know how to, what the Lord loves, we'll celebrate with them as well. We need to learn how to celebrate. And as we look at how to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to talk more in upcoming weeks. We're going to talk about what to say when we get into those moments. But let's ask ourselves right now, do we love what the Lord loves? We'll know it if we look at how we celebrate and how we interact with the people in our lives. We tell them about the gospel. If you're wondering how I can spread the gospel, I would just do it the first time you meet somebody. But even I don't do that all the time because it's hard. So I build relationships in order to spread that gospel. The sooner you can tell them about the Lord, the better. But I build relationships. I pick something pleasing to God. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, but he never hung around with them when they were doing horrible things or sinning. Pick something that's pleasing to God. And then pick something where unbelievers are. If there's a running club for moms in your area, join it. Find a group of people that's doing something that's pleasing to God where there's unbelievers. Pick something that you enjoy. You want it to be natural. You want your love of the Lord to be natural. You want your love of other people to be natural. Pick something that's repeatable. Pick something to do it over and over and over so you can get to know the people that are there. We have somebody in our congregation who took on a new job, a new position, and they're mowing lawns in a Section 8 housing area, and they're using that opportunity. They're going to be back once a week. So make relationships with those people. Do something repeatable. Do something relational so you can get to talk to each other. Don't go to the movies with people. You can't talk with them when they're at the movies. I always hated that when people invited me to a movie. Sarah will be like, do you want to sit down and watch a movie? I'm like, no, if you want to spend time together, why are we watching a movie? Pick something where you can talk to them. And then pick other HCCers to come. When Jesus sends out the disciples, as he looks and gives the work of the Lord in Matthew chapter 9, afterwards he sends them out in pairs. And he called his 12 disciples. He gives them authority. He sends them out two by two. So if you're looking for ways to reach people for Christ, here's a basic pattern that you can do to begin to get to know other people and share the gospel. 